When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to History of College Football Podcast. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Ms. Lauren Sizzler, multinational award-winning sports reporter, ESPN, SEC Network, and AL.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Lauren Sizzler, that's at L-A-U-R-E-N, S-I-S-L-E-R, and a website, laurensizzler.com forward slash sidelines, and that's plural, sidelines. It is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. First, tell me, what brought you to ESPN? Well, thank you so much, Jay, for having me on. I appreciate it. Always an honor to jump on and share some, uh, you know, football nuggets and knowledge and just um, share a little bit of my career and Uh, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, so just getting started at ESPN, you know, I had graduated from Rutgers University with a degree in communications, had my aspiration site set on being a sports reporter, and um, really just kind of worked my way through the business. Started at a, uh, I actually started at CNBC in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey, as a technical associate running teleprompter and tape playback, learned television from the ground up, really learned the foundation of what makes TV go, right? You know, I think that's something that people, they always just think that like magically it appears on TV. No, there's a lot that goes into making it possible. Um, But yeah, so then I went from there to my hometown station, was a photographer and editor, was on the sidelines of high school football games of Virginia Tech and UVA, really kind of getting acclimated to, um, you know, being on that side of the camera. And then my next step was into uh, you know, a weekend sports anchor role in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and then bounce from there to Birmingham, Alabama. And oh, by the way, being in Alabama, uh, starting in 2011, which I know we'll dive into, um, not a bad time to be in the state of Alabama. <laughs> Absolutely. Football. So, uh, you know, thankful for that. So I really think just kind of getting my feet wet in the SEC and, um, getting to experience SEC football, covering Alabama and Auburn, primarily covering two very, you know, dominant teams in the league, kind of led me on my pathway to ESPN and SEC network and the opportunity to be able to cover games for the network on the sidelines and, you know, for SEC nation as well, which was the pregame traveling show that I did um, earlier on. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an honor. It's been a lot of fun. It's had a lot of ups and downs and, uh, you know, all arounds in terms of the emotion that comes with being on the sidelines of college football games, Um, but it's been fun. And yeah, that's how I ended up there. Superb. As a sidelines reporter, can you encapsulate that moment for us? Well, I got to tell you, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, you do everything you can to prepare for, Um, you know, obviously all the training and, you know, uh, like I said, learning how TV works and then jumping in the anchor chair, being a reporter, learning how to ad lib, to have conversations, to be able to, you know, to, to dig in below the surface on a lot of the stories and, you know, the stats and the history and, 
you know, just going way below the surface um, is just kind of been a, uh, you know, a pro a process, if you will. Um, and then getting to this point now, um, you know, when you get the opportunity, when ESPN says, okay, we're going to bring you on um, as a sideline reporter, ready, set, go. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, like, how do I prepare for this? And, you know, a lot of the stuff that I did leading up to it, there were things that prepared me talking to different people. I'll never forget the conversation I had with Laura Rutledge and she was just so wonderful. And like, Hey, these are the things that I wish I would have known before my first game as a sideline reporter. And that was really cool to have that, have someone to share those notes and nuggets, because there are some things you just can't prepare for. And so you have to go out there and just do it. And far from perfect, but you just go out there and do it. And it just gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier each and every time um mistake free absolutely not it's always uh you know I always like to say I'm a work in progress but uh it certainly has gotten easier because you know what to expect day in and day out and um how to prepare that is the key learning and knowing the importance of preparation is a big key to being a sideline reporter and to being you know on live television covering college football week in and week out oh I, I admire you now, now, now you reporting on the sideline for the historic first game of the COVID era, Austin P, Central Arkansas, August 29th, 2020. What was that experience like for you? Whew. Well, let me tell you, um, I got called to do that game and it was pretty much in the midst of the decisions being made as to if college football was even going to happen, right? So we're sitting here like, well, you know, is the season going to happen? And at this point, the SEC had already decided they were going to wait till later in September. So I kind of was not really in football mode when I got the call saying, hey, Lauren, we're going to send you out. You're going to do that first game on August 29th. And I'm like, whoa, like it's here. College football season's here. It's happening. This is so exciting. Um, But I don't think I quite grasped the magnitude of that game until I finished. Um, I remember getting in my car that night, it was about midnight and just sitting there thinking, wow, like this just happened. And I think the magnitude of it just couldn't be felt until after the fact, just for the simple, you know, the simple pure fact that we were in the midst of this pandemic that none of us had ever experienced before, a complete shutdown of our entire country And then slowly the world and slowly the country getting back on its feet and having to go through all these protocols and all these things to make this possible. And when you when you calculate and you you just dig into what happened and what was made possible by all the people that were involved in making college football, making the decisions, making sure the players and the coaches and the fans and everyone in between were healthy and were safe and were able to go out and do their jobs and to compete at that kind of level and do it safely and to, you know, obviously try to mitigate any spread of the virus itself. Um, It's crazy when you think about it, but it was a really, really awesome experience and um, just thankful to be a part of it and to, to, you know, uh, be part of college football history in a way that I surely didn't expect to be a part of it, but Hey, you know what? You never know. Um, we didn't see this pandemic coming. That's for sure. And, you know, now looking back at it, I think, you know, in a lot of ways it has strengthened us. It has made me really appreciate my job and what I do and just being, you know, back out for some spring football and, um, getting to experience, uh, college football in a, maybe a little bit more normal setting. It, it definitely makes you appreciate, um, some of the things that were definitely absent last year during the pandemic. 
I think that game will go down as an epic moment in the history of college football. And, and it turned out to be a great game. A Luhan Winningham, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. Luan, uh, I think it was Luan. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Luan Winningham uh, caught a 10 yard touchdown pass with 34 seconds remaining. And it gave Central Arkansas a 24-17 win. What was it like on the sidelines when he caught that pass? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the crazy part. Uh, uh, in 2019, I had traveled all over the country, done several games, and I swear to you, it seemed like every game we got ended up being a blowout. Um, there weren't a lot of those big moments that I, myself and my, my team um, that, I, that I traveled with got to experience in 2019. So then to come out and kick the season off with that kind of uh, bang, if you will, uh, with a lot of eyes watching, you know, a lot of people watching what's college football going to be like and to do that on the big stage. I think that was just really cool for him and for, um, you know, central Arkansas to be on that big stage and to kind of get that recognition wow. and to say, Hey, we're setting a standard. We're setting a precedent. We are reminding people college football is back and we can get through this and we are going to get through this. And Oh, by the way, we are going to be competitive. And that's what ended up happening coming out with the win uh, for central Arkansas. Well, which, which kind of leads me to uh, how is reporting the SEC games this season different from the previous seasons, pre-COVID seasons? Yeah, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that uh, we, you know, kind of had to, to experience, I guess, obviously, as, uh, as a team of people that were on site, you know, having to do the testing week in and week out, having to make sure that we came in with a negative COVID test. That was the first and foremost thing that we had to go through. Um, meetings, uh, not getting to do in-person meetings, I think was a lot different for us because for, for me, I'm the type of person that likes to have those face-to-face -face meetings. And those are important, being able to talk to the coaches and the players one-on-one, -on -one, having more of that sort of uh, you know personalized conversation to me is very important. And you know we ended up having to do a lot of those via Zoom. Obviously, Zoom is better than a phone call or better than nothing, but definitely that was different. And then, of course, uh, game day, you know, coming into the stadium, wearing a mask. Let's be real, down here in the South, woo-wee, the humidity gets you. And especially early in the season through September and even into October, some of those games right. were so hot, wearing the mask being on the sidelines, having to talk with the mask on, communicate with your producer. Um, a, a very unique wrinkle that was very different for us this year is most of the time when I would travel to a game, I would be the only person on site that was broadcasting the game. So our analysts and play-by-play -play were back at home. They didn't, they didn't get to travel to the game and be up in the booth. And so I was really and truly the eyes and ears on the field and really the eyes and ears on site there relaying messages to the producer and or director uh, and the play-by-play -play and analyst that I was working with on any given week. And then of course, you know, you saw those social distanced interviews. That was very interesting, especially for the coaches that were experiencing it for the first time, you know, like that's very different. And uh, coaches are very routine, Jay. I mean, they have a way of doing things and they want to make sure that, Everything is routine. I'm going into the locker room. I'm going to talk to my guys. Oh, by the way, I've got to do this weird interview, socially distant. How does this even work? And so that was interesting. And really just having to figure that out on the fly, because even at ESPN, we had to kind of go through different things that evolved to make sure that aspect of things was working and that the coaches could hear us and that the communication was seamless 
um, you know, on the broadcast. And so I'd say some, those are some of the biggest differences, um, you know, that we had to experience during the COVID era. And, uh, you know, I'll be anxious to see how things shake out this year, but uh, hopefully things will be somewhat back to normal. And um, I'm excited. Wow. With all the adaptations that you went through, just absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible, the changes that you had to endure and, and, and move forward on. Now, now I understand you've been on the sideline for one of the greatest games in the history of college football, the 2013 Iron Bowl, better known as Kick Six. But before we get to the game, just in general, what is it like to be present for the Iron Bowl? Oh, gosh, I'll tell you what, the Iron Bowl is definitely unique, a unique, unique game. Um, you know, I went to Rutgers, as I mentioned, we were in the Big East yep. at the time, obviously now in the Big Ten, but I had experienced college football differently um, as a student athlete at Rutgers. Uh, I was a former gymnast and, you know, going to the games and everything, but still such a fun atmosphere and watching Rutgers be resurrected by Coach Yano, a one in 11 team when I got there my freshman year, finally making a bowl bid, you know, my senior year, um, getting to see them climb to the top of the rankings was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, just that Cinderella story. But then when I got to the SEC, you know, everyone's like, the SEC is the real deal. Like this is something <laughs> like it. And I'm like, okay, okay. Well, you get here and you're like, okay, I get exactly what you're talking about now. Wow. Um, so I'll tell you, uh, you know, I think that that to me, just being part of the Iron Bowl, seeing that rivalry, being a part of it these last several years, I've been in Alabama since 2011. So, I've essentially been here for a decade. Um, this will be uh, the decade mark of covering college football in the state of Alabama. And man, I'll tell you, it's just, it's really cool to be part of a rivalry like this. And I mean, it is something that literally 365 days a year, the coaches, the players, the fans, the community, everybody will reiterate that, but it is so true. And um, just being part of that and being on the sidelines. I mean, it is like all records out the window and you just don't know what's going to happen in that game. And I just love just the, the, that time of year, because as the season winds down and it's for all the marbles, um, things just get ramped up. And I love that being the last game of the regular season for Alabama and Auburn both. And just, um, you know, being a part of that. Of course that didn't happen during COVID. That was not the last game of the regular season, but normally right, it is. Right. And so it's a good way to close things out. And, um, you know, usually one team or the other is the one that ends up punching their ticket to the SEC championship off of that game. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> what a great answer. Uh, now for this kick six game, take us back to that game. First off, whose sidelines were you on? Well, um, I was kind of bouncing around, but I will tell you, um, I was covering the game for CBS 42, a local CBS affiliate here in town. So this was before my ESPN career. So I was there covering it. So really, we did mostly pre and post game coverage um, and did some stories and stuff like that. But I was basically assigned to be on the field. And um, as soon as the game ended to go onto the field and grab interviews with mm. the winning team's players. So that was my assignment. And I was, um, yeah, I was on the, I was not on either sideline. I was actually in the end zone for mm -hmm. a good portion of that game. So I was in the press box during the game and then the fourth quarter came down and was in the end zone. So that can lead you to my next question. Which end zone were you in? Yes. I was going <laughs> to ask <laughs> which end zone. Well, were you in? <laughs> well, it so happens that I was in the end zone that Chris Davis fielded the uh, the missed field goal 
that fell one yard short. I remember watching it come down in front of the goalpost and then just being so confused, like, okay, like now what? This is weird. Okay. And take us through it. Take us through that, that play. Yeah. So um, as the ball, you know, the, the Adam Griffith kicks the field goal, it falls a yard short. You watch Chris Davis field the field, the missed field goal and take off running. And, you know, of course where we're at, I'm kind of on the, uh, I guess it would be the Alab closer to the Alabama sideline of the end zone. And so I'm kind of watching all this unfold and everyone's screaming. You see people like just in awe, like I don't really quite know what's happening. Uh, and Chris Davis takes off running and then you just almost see him like, it's almost like a blur. Like he just sort of eclipses over the 50 yard line, 60 yard line. Like, is this really happening? Like what's going on? And I remember my colleague at the time being like, well, there goes our trip to Pasadena. <laughs> because at that point we thought that Alabama was going to be a shoe in for the national championship. And then right. this is all unfolding in front of us. And we're like, well, I guess we're not going to a national championship this year because at the time, you know, Auburn was not, you know, in contention for it. And um, so Chris Davis runs, 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 and then dives into the end zone. And I mean, it was like pure pandemonium, but also shock of like, is this real? Is this happening? And I remember my cell phone blowing up and people were like, Laura, are you on the sidelines? Oh my gosh. You just witnessed the, the biggest game in college football history. Like the biggest play, the biggest moment. Oh my gosh. And I think just for me, I had to run out on the field, um, and be a part of that as the, the fans stormed the field and just like literally suffocating How crazy um, was it on the field? I mean it was crazy uh just everyone storming the field and again my goal and my job was to go in and find these players and wow. to get interviews with them the best that I could but all of a sudden these fans stormed the field and now I'm being like soaked up in this mob scene and I'm trying to find these players I'm being basically like suffocated through it and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how are we going to do this? So finally I found a police officer security that was actually escorting players off the field. So we oh. got in behind them and started following them off the field. And then we were able to kind of corral them off to the side and get some interviews and whoo, I'm out of breath talking about it. Um, yes. It was crazy. It was, a, it was really crazy, but a lot of fun and definitely a memorable moment. I can still see it like you know, I can see where I was on the field. I can like look around, I can close my eyes and I can see like all the people just standing around me and thinking like, what in the world just happened? And again, you know, this is still kind of early. I mean, 2013 was still kind of early in my, my college football uh, career, you know, in the state of Alabama. When the ball was in the air, when, when he kicks the ball, were you or anyone around you cognizant of Chris Davis aware that he was back there? Did anyone say, look out for him? I mean, I knew he was back there. I saw him back there, but I didn't, I mean, I just didn't, it did, I, I guess it just didn't resonate. Like to me, my brain wasn't going, Oh, well, I mean, in theory, like this guy could catch the ball and run it back. Like that just wasn't something that registered in my mind that that was something that could happen or was a potential. So I just sort of, man, you know, like he's back there, but it, I just didn't think anything of it at the time until he caught the ball and took off running. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> you and 330 million other people. <laughs> just... That's right. That's exactly right. A any idea what happened to the game ball? No, but one thing I always ask, I want to know this question. And I, I, I feel like, so you're Chris Davis and you literally just run over a hundred yards. Okay. 
you get to the end zone, you dive into the end zone, but oh, by the way, here comes your entire football team, <laughs> that doggy piles on top of you. <laughs> so like you've just exerted every ounce of your energy, your breathing is probably out of control. And then you get doggy piled on. Like, how how do you survive that? That's what I want to know. That's my question. It's like, how do you survive a moment like that? And how do you breathe? Um, I mean, I, I would I guess adrenaline. I don't know, but I've always wondered how, as if you're Chris Davis, do you even like survive that intense moment that just unfolded? It's pretty cool. Absolutely. It's the definition of pretty cool. Now, now just to recap, because I'm still wrapping my mind around this. You were on the sidelines for two of the most incredible games of the 21st century. First game of the COVID era, the kick six. So, so if you remove those two games, what was your favorite game you ever reported on? You know, I have to go back to 2016 and it would be my very first college football game that I covered on the sidelines. And that was Auburn, Louisiana, Monroe. Um, that was just a, a memorable time for me because as we talked to it, you know, talked about at the top of the podcast, just, you know, getting this opportunity being said, you know, told by ESPN, SEC Network, like, hey, we're going to give you this chance to go out and cover this game and just being completely blind to like, okay, what's this experience going to be like for me? And, you know, just kind of navigating all the the unknowns and not really sure how this is going to go down and, you know, um, what happens if I mess up and what happens if I don't know what's going on and, you know, kind of navigating all those things. So that really, to me was one of my favorites, just because it was a big moment in my career and just something I'll remember forever is like, you know, you have to start somewhere, right. We all have to start somewhere. And that was definitely a starting point for me. And, um, you know, thankful for the opportunity, but also thankful to get many more reps under my belt after that one. (laughs) What a great answer. Uh, are you game for a few uh, fun questions? Just purely fun. Yeah, why not? Well, well, let's let's see how this goes. I can't promise that I'll I'll give you the best answer or the answer that people want to hear, but hey, I'll try. I'm searching for your your answer. Your answer. Yeah. So, since you started covering the SEC back in 2011, is that is that accurate? Yes. So, so who is the best SEC team of this of this era of this past decade? Ooh, you know that is a good one. Um. You know, I think about, I think the team that comes to mind for me and just one that really stands out is the Alabama 2011 team. Um, You know, they, when you, when you, when, when I go back to that season, obviously it was my first season of covering um, Alabama football here in the SEC. It was my first year working with the local CBS affiliate. Um, I remember that game of the century in the middle of the season in Tuscaloosa, when LSU came in and beat Alabama nine to six. So it was the only notch, you know, the only negative notch on Alabama's um, you know, belt for that, for that season. And just to think, um, okay, what's this rematch going to be like? And they go in there um, and, and rematch LSU holding them to just 92 yards of total offense. And that was back when, defensive dominance was the name of the game for Alabama. And I just, I think that's been the cool part of my career too, watching Alabama really change under coach Saban. You know, he is a defensive genius and he's had a lot of tremendous teams and there's been a lot of defensive dominance within those teams. And now we're seeing something quite a bit different than what we've seen in years past under coach Saban. So to me, that was, 
the old school defensive dominance that we're used to seeing from Alabama. And obviously on that, um, you know, during that game and, uh, you know, I guess it would have been in January of 2012 to see Alabama dominate the way that they did and end up getting the win um, was pretty substantial after, you know, losing to LSU nine to six. And then, you know, they, they come out of that game, they play the rest of the season, they get to the SEC championship. And I remember them just dominating Georgia. And so it was almost like that thing happened. And all of a sudden it's like, we're gone. So I think to me, that would probably be one of the best SEC teams I recall or really enjoy watching in the past decade. How about your favorite player from the SEC during this past decade? You know, I'm going to go with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And I go with him because I will say that I was able to develop a a closer relationship with he and his family um, through the process. Uh, You know, he came to Alabama and obviously was able to win a national championship. um, And that would have been 2018. And after that national championship was won, it was pretty cool because we were invited, uh, my colleague and myself from AL.com were invited to Hawaii to be a part of his homecoming parade and um, just to get to know his family and get to know like his people, his culture. And that to me, um, I will tell people is, you know, I love the game. I love the aspect of the competitive nature of college football, but when you get to know the people behind it all and you get to truly know the the athletes and the coaches and the parents and the fans and the community, that to me is something special. And so just getting to um, get to know Tua and his family, such a great family, such a great um, welcoming family. And, uh, you know, Tua always just had such a great attitude and was always just so loving. And, um, you know, you can see why he was very loved by his teammates and someone that, um, you know, really, uh, you know, became a fan favorite in Tuscaloosa and continues to do so in his professional career as well. Well, you've been incredible insight. Thank you. If you could have been on the sidelines reporting for any one game in the history of college football, what game would that have been? Um, Rutgers, 1869, <laughs> the first college football game. What's up? Love and I say God. that because, oh, by the way, here in Alabama, people always want to say, well, you know, look how many national championships we have. And I said, well, guess what? Rutgers invented college football. And they're like, yeah, well, we perfected it. And I'm like, (laughs) whatever. But nevertheless, I would say, what a time to be alive, to go back and be a part of that. Like, what is this thing called college football? Like, this is weird. Like, what are we doing out here? Um, I would say that would be, that would be one, one, it it would be cool to, to, to get in a time machine and go back to that era and, and just be part of all that. (laughs) <laughs> that may have been the best answer I have ever received. Hey, well, I'm glad I could help out with that. <laughs> Who is your favorite player in the history of college football? Oh, you know, that's a tough one for me. Um, just because I've I've met and been around so many different players and I guess just, you know, seen so many different guys. And, you know, I think that different players come to mind, um, you know, as I just think about everyone that's, been in college football right and so you know if you think about favorite player as in just like you know favorite player to watch and you know to see go out there and and perform you know one guy that comes to mind Johnny Manziel so during you know his era and his run with Texas A&M like I 
really enjoyed watching him play and just the way that he kind of lit up the football world, you know, and um, I actually had an opportunity to talk to him recently at the Texas A&M spring football game. And, you know, I know that he went through some tough times following his college football career, but I think it's really cool how he has, you know, even used some of those challenges in his life to, you know, kind of turn things around and just be true to who he is, but also to just kind of set an example. And, um, you know, I think that these players have an opportunity to do that. You know, they get put in the limelight. Sometimes decisions are made, things happen. But, you know, just in terms of his overall abilities and just to see him kind of go out there and dominate the college football scene, you know, he gets the name Johnny Football. Like, not many people get that name and that nickname. So, you know, he's definitely someone that kind of stands out to me, um, you know, throughout sort of the last decade of me covering college football, especially here in the SEC, of just someone that, um, you know, I've enjoyed watching play. And then, you know, then even on the defensive side of the football, someone that kind of comes to mind is a guy like Jadavian Clowney, like watching him play. um, You know, I go back to, and I don't recall the exact game and it'd be easy to pull it up, but uh, you know, just his abilities as a defensive guy to go out there and just straight up dominate. And, um, you know, he really kind of changed the face of defense, especially at South Carolina during his tenure there. And, you know, just always someone that was really fun to watch. And then, you know, there's just a lot of iconic people that come through. Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work with Tim Tebow. And so he's someone that, you know, was always a uh, very iconic, um, you know, quarterback and just someone that, you know, really was a role model and really kind of set the stage for, you know, the Florida Gators and really all of college football, just with, you know, not only his abilities as a quarterback, but also just what he has done for college football and just been such a voice and a mouthpiece and, um, you know, a vocal leader in the football, college football community and really an icon and someone that some, you know, people really look up to. Very well said, all encompassing. Um, I'm afraid to ask you this question, most memorable play in college football history. <laughs> well, look, we, we, I, we already did the kick six. That would obviously go down for me is the most memorable because of where I was at and just knowing the magnitude of it. But another play that I'll mention, um, we talk about Tua Tonga by Loa. So the 2018 SEC, uh, or I'm sorry, national championship game against Georgia Alabama was down 23 to 20. And, um, you know, this was back when Tua got put in the game. Jalen Hurts wasn't playing well. He gets sacked and gets backed up 16 yards. And then on the very next play, he just steps up as cool (laughs) and collected as can be, drops back and delivers that pass to Devontae Smith. And, uh, you know, Devontae Smith is another guy that I really like. And just watching his career, watching him grow, and now earning the Heisman Trophy, you know, going from that little Devontae Smith. And um, even though they call him the Slim Reaper, uh, he, you know, has really just grown and matured and just, you know, someone that is sometimes quiet and kind of keeps to himself, but also knows how to go out there and perform. So I would say that was a very memorable play for me in terms of another game that I have witnessed and been a part of and, um, you know, kind of watched unfold. Yeah. I think everybody remembers where they were at that game. Great answer. Yes. Greatest season in college football history. Greatest season. I, you know, I have to, I have to say the pandemic season. And the reason I say that is, you know, when you, when you look at all that was accomplished during this pandemic season, um, it's, it would be so easy to put an asterisk beside this season and say, you know what, it really doesn't count. Like, 
you know, half the leagues weren't even playing. Half of them came in, you know, two months late. Uh, you know, a lot of teams dropped out. There were a lot of opt-outs, you know, people weren't bought in all those things. But then on the flip side, think of everything that had to be jumped through all the hula hoops that had to be jumped through to make this season possible. And I think when you look at the grand scope of things, the amount of work and dedication that went into making it possible. I mean, the coaches are now having to do their jobs tenfold, you know, making sure their players are staying safe and healthy, you know, being the mask stars, making sure you wear your mask. Don't go out and party. Don't go out and do these things. Stay away from these people. These kids were locked up for months away from their families. Think about that. You're a college kid. You go off to college and you're basically told you can't go see your family for four months because you can't risk getting COVID or giving COVID. And so I think to me, that, you know, to me, if there is a, a great season in college football, uh, I would say that it has to be the pandemic year because I applaud those players and those coaches and the community and the fans and, and, and the people in the background that constantly were on top of things, making sure it was possible the season was had and that we did not miss this 2020 college football season, because I think college football is important for people. It's important for the morale. It's important for society. It's important for these players and their careers and their futures. And, um, you know, to me, I think it goes down as one of the greatest seasons of all time because of what was accomplished in the face of adversity. I I completely agree. Normally one season goes to the next and a coach has to evolve the team, but these adaptations were just off the charts that they had to go through. Very well said. Absolutely. Biggest upset in the history of college football. Woo! Man, you know, again, I know you, you you say in the history of college football, for me, I keep going to games that I've been to and covered Great. because I can feel the emotion inside of me as it was unfolding. I go back to the um, SEC championship game of 2018 when Tua Tonga-Vailoa was hurt, was unable to finish the game, and um, – uh, Alabama is, is the number one team in the country going up against the number four Bulldogs. And they're trying to secure a number one seed. They're 13 and 0 or 12 and 0 at the time, if I recall right. And um, they had to come out and pull off some heroics and who better to do it than Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts has a great story, such a tremendous quarterback, such a tremendous guy. And, you know, someone that you, you know, have empathy or sympathy for someone that, you know, came in and did some wonderful things in his career. And then Tua Tonga-Vailoa comes along. He gets benched national championship game, as we talked about. And Jalen Hurts then kind of becomes an afterthought to some people. And um, for him to, to still ride it out, he didn't leave Alabama. He stuck, stuck it out, stayed with his team and, you know, finished out his career at Alabama, or at least, you know, his undergrad career at Alabama. And, you know, that says a lot about him, his character and what he wanted to do for his team and to do that and have to sit on the bench all season. And then, oh, by the way, Tua gets hurt. We need you to come in here and win this. And that ultimately punched their ticket as a one seed to the college football playoff. And, um, you know, pretty, pretty incredible story, um, you know, just to see someone like that, to be able to do that. And that's what just makes college football to me so special. Superb. Greatest team uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's so hard to leave Alabama out of that conversation because Alabama's, I mean, the dynasty that they've been, it's so hard to leave them out of the conversation. We already mentioned the 2011 Alabama team, I've seen a lot of great Alabama teams along the way, but I will say 
watching this 2020 Alabama team do what they did with the, first of all, like I said, putting the asterisk beside the season, the pandemic season, that's the first thing I think of is like everything they had to go through, all the hoops they had to jump through um, makes it super special. But then like you think about Mac Jones and he was just the guy that nobody ever expected to be able to compete, to come out. He was just the, the, you know, the, the guy that was going to always come in and mop up duty. That was it. Right. And then you see what he was able to do last year to kind of close things out in the absence of Tua as he got injured. And then here we are in 2020 and yes, he's got all the weapons around him in the world. And that's the coolest part. Like, think about this. When you think about the talent on this team from an offensive standpoint, you have, you know, basically three of the top five Heisman contenders on one football team. Like, are you kidding me? Like that's insane. And so I just think when you think about the depth of talent at Alabama, especially offensively, look, we know Alabama's always been a defensive powerhouse and that has somewhat kind of gone, you know, off the radar a little bit in recent years. Although I do think this upcoming year might look a little different um, and in the defensive favor of Alabama. But um, with that being said, you know, I just have to say the 2020 national team in terms of their depth and just overall scope of their talent, just so far and above a lot of other teams and just being able to prove that, um, you know, it just makes you think like, can they really, can they even get any better? I mean, is that even possible? And so it'll be interesting to see how things unfold as they, you know, turn the page to a new, a new season and kind of wipe the slate clean. But uh, yeah, that would be my answer. 2020 Alabama national championship team. (laughs) And that's an excellent answer. Well, I want to thank you, Ms. Lauren Sizzler. It was an honor to have you as a guest. You're a phenomenal reporter, phenomenal guest. Oh, uh, thank you, you. Thank you. You can follow her on Twitter at Lauren Sizzler, L-A-U-R-E-N-S-I-S-L-E-R, and her website, laurensizzler.com forward slash sidelines, plural. Follow this woman. Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode. 